welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, I do praise you for drawing us together today as you have, and I pray that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do. As always, I would ask that the Holy Spirit would speak, that he would teach and bring us into all truth, to the glory of Christ's name alone. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In our last lesson, we began to look at Paul's letter to the believers in Corinth and examined the spiritual gifts of wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, miracles, and the discernment of spirits. We also briefly mentioned the gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Corinth was a very immoral city, and the general worldliness had wormed its way into the church there also. Along with many other errors, believers had gotten off track in the practice of their spiritual gifts. Instead of seeking to glorify God, individuals had begun to use their spiritual gifts to draw attention to themselves, and certain gifts were being valued over others. From the text, it seems that the gift of tongues was particularly coveted in the Corinthian church. And so Paul begins to speak to this in 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 1, where he states, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Paul wasn't faulting the Corinthians for wanting all that the Holy Spirit gives. In fact, he encouraged them to desire the gifts. However, he wanted them to focus on a few very important principles as they did, and he begins with the gift of tongues. In our last lesson, we learned that the gift of tongues can take a few different forms. It can be the miraculous ability to speak in an earthly language without learning it. And we saw that happen on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were able to speak in languages they had not learned, so that people from all backgrounds could hear the message spoken in their own language. The gift of tongues can also be an ability to speak in an earthly language far above one's own natural ability. And I do have a modern day example of this. Several years ago, a pastor friend of mine and his wife were on a mission trip to a remote area in Mexico where the people knew very little about Jesus. They had the opportunity to spend an hour with the chief of a village and talk with him about faith. My pastor friend did the talking, sharing the gospel with the village leader, while his wife translated everything he said into Spanish. Much to my friend's delight, they were able to pray with the man as he responded to the gospel and gave his life to Christ. On the way back to their camp, my pastor friend complimented his wife on her Spanish. She replied that she was amazed at her Spanish as well, because she, she was translating far above her schooling. She even used a whole lot of words she had never learned, she said. 
They were so excited and encouraged that God had given her this very special version of the gift of tongues in order to reach that village leader. But the scripture also speaks of some having the ability to speak in a heavenly tongue or a language given especially for prayer by the Lord. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather that you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. In contrasting the gift of tongues with the gift of prophecy, Paul actually reveals a lot about each. Let's look here at what he reveals about the gift of tongues. He says that in its use, the speaker is not speaking to people, but rather to God. No one understands them because they're uttering mysteries in a heavenly language by the power of the Holy Spirit. The outcome of this is that the speaker is edified. In other words, they're building themselves up as they worship God in this way. And Paul states that he would like everyone to speak in tongues because he knew the benefit of it in one's own spiritual walk. However, he goes on to say that he would far rather people be able to prophesy. As we learned previously, prophecy is the ability to communicate God's word in a way that reveals his will and prompts other people to respond to the Lord's voice. People with this gift of prophecy at times have such insights from scripture concerning issues or individuals that they feel compelled to speak out. And when they do, Paul declares that the entire church is edified. Everyone is built up. Consequently, Paul believed that the ability to prophesy was far greater than the gift of tongues because of its effect on the church as a whole. The only time that would not be the case was if someone spoke a message in a heavenly language and someone was able to interpret it so that all could understand. To help his listeners grasp this truth, Paul continued in verse 6, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? 
Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. As a teacher, Paul knew how important it was to speak in a way that your listeners can understand, and so he used a few examples that all would be able to appreciate. A melody is produced when the individual notes follow a certain harmonious pattern. Otherwise, it just becomes a jarring noise. In the same way, a trumpet blast must be clear and distinct. Some trumpet blasts summon men to advance, while others call for a retreat. There are different sounds for an army to go to sleep, and still others to announce the time to awake. And a soldier must be able to distinguish between them. Similarly, there are many different earthly languages and dialects in this world, and all of them have meaning. But if you cannot understand what someone else is saying, in effect, you are a foreigner and you're separated from those who speak. The people of Corinth, who so desired the gift of tongues, needed to ask themselves if they were seeking that gift with the right motive. Was it to build up the church or was it just to build up themselves? And what was the fruit of that action? Was it unifying or were some people being made to feel like foreigners among them? Paul commended the Corinthians for being eager for gifts of the Spirit, but he urged them to try to excel in those that built up the church. And he continued in verse 13, saying, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. In this passage, Paul revealed that when a person prays in a heavenly language, they are in fact praying from their spirit. He wanted those in Corinth to think of others even when they worshipped God in a heavenly language. And he stressed that when using tongues in that way, in a group situation, they should pray for a way to interpret what was being prayed so that others could understand. 
Paul uses this word inquirer here to describe someone who was still investigating the claims of Christianity. If they could not understand what was being said, they would be made to feel even more like outsiders or foreigners when really they should be feeling welcomed. I can imagine that some who were reading Paul's letter might have come to the conclusion that Paul was against the use of this gift altogether. Others might have even suggested that he was jealous, that perhaps he did not have that particular ability. But neither of those assumptions were true, and the apostle was quick to correct them, declaring in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Indeed, Paul not only spoke in a heavenly language, he did so frequently. However, when it came to worshipping in community with others, he understood that tongues had little to offer to the church as a whole if what was said in them could not be understood. We cannot read the section of text, though, without remembering that Paul's words were spoken to address the chaos in the Corinthian worship services. Paul never forbade the use of this spiritual gift, but he wanted those with this gift to realize that there are times, particularly in group settings, where we should either pray in tongues quietly or pray for an interpretation so that others can understand and be built up in their faith too. I'm sure many of us might be wondering, seeing as the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to glorify God and are given for the common good, is there any point to the gift of a heavenly prayer language at all? Heavenly tongues can be helpful in our own personal worship because they allow us to bypass the limits of our natural language as we enter into the worship of God. Our praise and thanksgiving are often so restricted by our intellect. I'm sure that, like me, many of you have felt that your words often seem to fall far short of what is really in your heart. The gift of tongues enables us to praise God without those limits. And according to what Paul himself has said, this gift has the effect of building up our faith when we use it. But as with all the other gifts, this one also has to be exercised with maturity and self-control. Paul wanted the believers in Corinth to take a more mature view of their worship services. He continues in verse 21. In the law it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? In this somewhat confusing section, Paul quotes a passage of scripture from Isaiah 28 verses 9 to 12 that refers to a time in Israel's history when God allowed foreigners to rule over his people in their rebellion. But even though he spoke to his people through the lips of foreigners, it had no effect on them. Their hearts were hardened and they had no desire to hear God's message. And the same can be true regarding the gift of tongues. Paul says, at times, as we saw at Pentecost, tongues were meant as a sign for unbelieving people, as a manifestation of God's presence and power that was to convince them to heed the word of God. But tongues don't always have that effect. And he makes a very down-to-earth observation with perhaps a little shock value thrown in for good measure. Because he says, if a stranger or unbeliever came into a Christian assembly where everyone was pouring out a flood of sounds that they couldn't understand, they would likely think that the place was a madhouse. But if the truth of God was being proclaimed thoughtfully and clearly, the result would be very different. And then Paul describes that difference in verse 24 onwards. He says, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Wow, what a difference. If the strangers could understand what was being said, they would be brought face to face with themselves and with God. They would realize that they are indeed a sinner and they would be brought under judgment. In other words, they would understand that they will have to give an account one day for the way that they have lived their life. On that day, all the secrets of their own heart would be laid bare. They would see themselves for who they really are, and it would bring them to their knees before the Lord as they recognize that God is in the midst of his people. This is the real test of worship, whether or not we are changed by the presence of the Lord. And this was to be the goal for the church at Corinth. Paul concludes with some practical advice in verse 26 onwards. He says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. 
And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Paul was firm. He wanted the church to come together in unity and that while everyone should be exercising their gifts, he was equally determined that their services should not fall into a competitive chaos. He urged that only two or three are to exercise the gift of tongues and then only if there is someone there to interpret. The same is true for anyone in the congregation who believed that they received a special message or prophecy. No one was to shout over someone else as they had been doing in the past. All should be given the opportunity to express what God had put on their heart. There must be liberty, but there must be order too, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. It's important for us to understand that the exercise of our spiritual gifts is under our control. In fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 verses 22 to 23 is actually self-control. And I think that's why Paul said what he did there in verse 32 that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is truly in charge, there is no lack of self-control. Everything is done decently and in order. Paul says that the prophet himself is or should be able to control himself, to wait his turn, to discern the timings of when to speak, and to whom. And it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't leading or powerfully working when he does that. It also means that the Lord will never force us to use a gift that we've been given. We always have a choice in the matter. Let me share an example that ties in here. You may remember that I mentioned in the past that I believe one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of prophecy. Most often this gift manifests itself as I teach God's word, but sometimes God gives me a more personal message for an individual or a group. One such occasion was at the end of a church service. As I looked across the room, I saw a young woman who I knew was a foster child standing with her foster mom. I sensed the Lord tell me to go and speak to her. I had the strong impression that I was to begin by saying the words, Your father wants you to know, but that was all I knew for sure at the moment. Because I knew that this young woman was in the foster care system and was no longer with her biological parents, I panicked. I thought to myself, I can't go and say that. Not to her, not now. I mean, what if she doesn't understand? So I dug my heels in and refused to even walk across the room. Despite the fact that I felt the urging of the Holy Spirit, 
I was too afraid to obey. Well, the next week at the end of the service, I opened my eyes and as I looked across the room, I saw the young woman and her foster mom again. Once more, I heard the Lord impress on my mind that I was to speak those same six words to her. Having no more of his message to go on, this time I thought, well, if it's really from you, Lord, you will have to bring her to me. Then I eagerly turned away and engaged in deep conversation with someone else. The moment my conversation ended, I turned around to find the foster mom and the young woman standing right next to me. They were talking to someone else, but their conversation quickly ended, leaving them free to talk to me. It was then that I finally gave up struggling and agreed to do what God had been asking me to do. I apologized to both of them, saying I'd been told to speak with the young lady the week before, but that I had been too nervous to do so. Then I began. As soon as I said the opening six words, more words began to flow. Though today I don't remember what I said, I do remember that she began to weep and then her foster mother began to weep also. At the end of the message, I apologized again for not having gone to her the previous week when I had first felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But her foster mom smiled through her tears and said, Actually, the timing is perfect. This would never have meant as much last week as it does today after what just happened to her this week. The effect that this all had on the young woman was amazing and I marveled at the way the Lord, knowing I would be a reluctant spokesperson, had the grace to start working on his messenger the week before the words would be needed. For the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Paul concluded his message on orderly worship by urging in verse 39 and 40, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Yes, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to be used, but we must remember that they are given to bring glory to God and for the common good of those present. And above all, we need to remember that everything should be carried out in an orderly way so that the gospel goes forth and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is upheld. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you've said to our hearts today. Thank you, Lord, that you are the giver of good gifts to your people. Lord, I pray that we would always be open to what you have for us, whatever that is. Lord, help us to have the right motives and help us to use our many varied gifts for your glory and for the extension of your kingdom. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. God bless you.
Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.